Blog Talk Radio. Independence Podcast. I'm your host, Chad McManaman, a Metro Philly, alongside Philly.com's Michael Kasky Blomain. And uh, as always, you can add our podcast to the app Stitcher. You can also find, you know, many of the other top sports podcasts there. You can also follow us on Twitter at 76ers Report. Um, Mike, uh, you know, I wanted to start uh, this episode with some big news from the Eagles organization. Uh, I don't know how big of a fan you are, but you know, I'd consider myself a pretty big fan of them as well. What do you think of uh, the LaShawn McCoy to the Bills trade for linebacker Kiko Alonso? Yo, well, uh, this one was pretty tough for me, Jess. LaShawn has um, personally been my favorite player in the league since he came in. He was, uh, you know, obviously the running back at Pitt my, the, uh, the last few years I was there, my junior and senior year. Shady was our running back, uh, dominated mm-hmm. Big East. Obviously, I was a fan then, and then, you know, to have my Eagles pick him up in the second round, I've been a, you know, a bit of LaShawn McCoy fan since he started a pit, so to see him shipped out is, uh, it's pretty rough for me. I mean, it kind of, it's ironic, it kind of reminds you almost of a Sam Hankey type move that uh, Chip Kelly's pulling there with, uh, <laughs> you know, get, getting rid of an established star to clear up cap space and stuff, but, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, financially, you know, uh, it made a lot of sense, but to me, uh, just a gut thing, I, I didn't like the move. You know, I think Shady still has, you know, quite a few productive years left in him. He wasn't necessarily uh, used, you know, to his full extent last year with Sproles, um, you know, sharing the backfield. You know, I thought it might have just been a little bit too early to give up on a guy that was a year removed from being the league's leading rusher and is still arguably, you know, a top two or three back in the NFL. So, uh Taking it kind of hard, you know. Obviously, I approach it with an open mind and see what the the team can do. But uh, not going to be surprised to see him have a lot of success elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, I I get the the cap space. I get you know getting a position of need with Tamika Ryan's um, probably you know not getting re-signed either. But uh, yeah, I mean, Shady McCoy. Uh, there's really only one in the league. I mean, he was so good in, you know, finding those holes, you know, cutting across the edge and, uh, you know, catching those passes out in space. And, you know, you can't really replace a guy like that. I mean, third in the league in rushing on a down year. And, uh, you know, I read through from like week five through 16, um, he was second behind uh, DeMarco Murray. So, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, it's a, a huge move. Um, 
it's funny for, you know, such an offensive-minded coach to kind of go backwards in that regard the past two off-seasons. You know, obviously we don't know what he's going to do in free agency and through the draft, but uh, it's just really weird to see, you know, the two offensive threats who are really the most popular guys on the team throughout the league to be, you know, traded away and cut in two, two straight off-seasons. But, um, you know, moving on to the Sixers here, um, you know, I feel like everyone in the Philadelphia media right now is impressed by the play of Thomas Robinson recently. Uh, you know, we both talked about in the last show how we were big fans of him coming out of college, and, you know, he just looks like he's been a man possessed on the boards recently, um, you know, averaging 9.5 points and 7.3 rebounds in just 16.3 minutes. Um what has impressed you the most by, you know, his play so far? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, from T-Rob, I think we've seen a lot of what we, you know, you and I kind of talked about last week and expected out of him so far. You know, he's not necessarily an offensive dynamo or anything like that. But, uh, you know, personally, I've just been mainly impressed by his motor um, and his energy on the boards, uh, you know, especially especially the offensive glass. Uh, he's just, you know, he's constantly active. He's been averaging, uh, I think, right around three three offensive rebounds since he's been in Philly, which is, you know, that's phenomenal out of, you know, I think he has like four and a half total boards, three of them are offenses, and he's averaging uh, close to 10 points a game. And, you know, out of those 10, you want to say at least three baskets are from him, uh, you know, fighting on the glass, getting a putback and either converting or going to the foul line. Uh, so, I mean, so far, so good with the uh, the T-Rob experiment. Uh, like we kind of alluded to last week, I don't think that he's ever going to develop into the type of guy that's going to be, you know, maybe a starting um, caliber power forward on the Sixers team. But, uh, you know, maybe certainly a type of guy that can fill a uh, reserve role and just come off the bench and provide, you know, a lot of energy um, on the glass for 15, 20 minutes of run a night. What, um, what have you seen out of T-Rob so far that you like? Yeah, I mean, we talked about just the physical specimen that Thomas Robinson is, you know, six foot nine, two forty, and he's just played with so much intensity so far. Um, and, you know, I, I like the, the Kansas connection that Joel and him seem to have um, at the moment, you know, posting on Instagram how happy he is to have him on the team. And, um, you know, I really love these stories in sports when, you know, players are – able to make the most of a new opportunity. And that's, you know, what you've seen out of Robinson so far. And, you know, we were both big fans of the pickup and, you know, until I see otherwise, I wouldn't really mind him sticking around here for a while, but what do you think of, you know, just keeping him around as maybe a bench big? Well, if we're going to keep him around, he needs to uh, change his Twitter bio because as of right now, it still says that he's a Portland trailblazer. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> other than that, other than that, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I don't see any reason uh, as of yet, uh, obviously at least for the rest of the season, why the Sixers wouldn't, uh, you know, keep him around and keep giving him, uh, you know, a bunch of burn. There's really nothing. He's shooting, uh, you know, 47% from the field, decent amount, uh, rebounded well. He's, you know, not the greatest, like, one-on-one post defender, but his energy, I feel like, makes up for a lot of that. And, uh, you know, in the absence of other great front court options that we have right now, I think it makes sense to – you know, at least keep him around for the foreseeable future and see if he fits uh, somewhere going forward or if at least, you know, you'd have to think that 
just being a couple of years removed from being such like a highly coveted uh, asset that, you know, if he can sh- still show some signs with the Sixers of what he was able to do with Kansas that made people interested in him that, you know, I think he might be able to work some magic and flip him for something or, you know, one way or another. Yeah, and, you know, moving on to tonight, you know, the Sixers face the Thunder, and it seems like Russell Westbrook might be avail- available to play, you know, after that ugly facial fracture. It almost looked like someone, you know, drilled a golf ball into the side of his face. But, uh, you know, yeah. all reports are, you know, that we'll see him play maybe with a mask on if he does. Um, but, you know, this is a good thing for Sixers fans. I mean, Oklahoma City is 18th right now in draft position. Um, they'd have to pass either the Spurs or Wizards to get into that 19th spot for the pick to transfer. And, uh, you know, with Westbrook returning, do you you feel like the Sixers' odds of getting that pick at the moment are, you know, high? Yeah, I mean, you like to, you'd like to think so. Um, you know, not that you never really encourage the team, the Sixers, to lose any individual game. Uh, despite all the tanking talk, you know, we've <laughs> us and others have, you know, we've talked extensively how the tanking isn't the players. You know, it's they're out there playing hard, trying to win every individual game. But if there was one game coming up, you know, for the rest of the season that would be beneficial for the Sixers to actually lose, it would probably be, you know, tonight's game, uh, another win in the win column for Oklahoma City. Uh, you know, the loss doesn't hurt the Sixers one way or another. The Thunder, I mean, they've been playing just better basketball as of late. They've, you know, Phoenix Suns have basically bowed out of the playoff race, the, and the Thunder, you know, they're taking over the Pelicans pretty well. I mean, uh, they're on a trajectory off, and once they get Kevin Durant back, I feel like there's a good chance, especially with the way that the Wizards, <clears throat> excuse me, that the Wizards have been playing as of late. Um, you know, you have to at least think that they, you think that there's a shot for them to move up in the, that playoff positioning and give the Sixers the draft pick this year. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, not only have the Thunder helped the the Sixers cause, but, you know, um, the teams running in the, you know, the lottery for the top pick right now have uh, helped the Sixers cause as well. You know, the Sixers are now just a half game off the Knicks for the worst record in basketball. And the only thing that worries me here is, you know, if you want to draft a point guard, you probably don't need the number one pick. Um, the top two picks for this upcoming draft are likely Okafor and Towns. You know, maybe they use that pick as leverage in the trade to move down. Um, but regardless, you have to be happy that they've, you know, finally nearly climbed back down to the bottom here, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're if you're going to be bad, you might as well be all the way bad. It's going to be ironic if, you know, it's likely, but after this year and last year with all the talks around how bad the Sixers were and all their tanking methods, they're neither of the two years are they actually going to finish with the league's worst record. Um, but you might as well get as close to the bottom as you can at this point and give yourself the best chance of, um, you know, landing toward the top. So Westbrook coming back tonight should definitely help the, uh, the Thunder's case. I think uh, a lot of people are expecting him to come out in the court with like a, a Bane mask or something on tonight. Yeah, I mean, uh, Bane comes to mind. Uh, you know, I remember, I think it was LeBron wore that mask. Uh, everyone thought he looked like Batman or something on the court. Um, it's always interesting when players come on with masks. You you think back to Richard Hamilton and how he kept that thing on forever, um, you know, before retiring. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that 
this Thunder pick should definitely transfer. The Thunder are eight and two in their last ten games. The Spurs are just, you know, five and five, and the Wizards are three and seven. And, uh, you know, they had that ugly loss to the Sixers last week. Um, you know, I'm not about to just pencil it in just yet, but I think uh, the Sixers are in really good position for that extra pick. And, you know, to have three first-rounders in the upcoming draft, uh, you know, the future looks very bright there. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that would be that would be best-case scenario, seeing them come away with three picks. And then, uh, you know, that just gives us so much – optionality and flexibility going into the summer, uh, especially assuming that at least a couple of the picks they take this summer will be able to actually play next season. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't see that Lakers pick really coming over. Uh, there's a really, really outside chance of that, but um, I think realistically you're seeing three picks here for the Sixers and plenty of options in this year's draft. Um, up top is very strong and you know, even in the middle where, you know, we could have two picks. I mean, there's a lot of good offensive talent to add to this roster. Um, but, you know, moving on, uh, we've had some pretty interesting point guard play, to say, say the least, since, you know, Michael Carter-Williams yeah. left. Um, Isaiah Cannon is averaging 10.5 points and 2.8 assists in six games versus Ish Smith, who, you know, is averaging 9.8 points and six assists in four games. Uh, what have you liked from each of them so far? And, you know, who do you think has shown to be the better fit as just like, you know, a natural point guard out there? Um, with Cannon, obviously, the main, you know, his main features is outside shooting, which, you know, it's hard not to like as a Sixers fan struggling through, um, you know, a string of guards that have trouble shooting from the outside. Um, Cannon, he, he's only shooting about uh, 35% from three right now, but he has, you know, you can see the confidence and the the range of his shot, and you know, his you can tell by his stroke that he knows, you know, he knows what he's doing behind the line. Um, with that being said, though, I've been a little underwhelmed by, you know, the rest of his game. I don't know if he's, you know, I think it might be a matter of him being limited by size a little bit, as he's. Um, overly, like, clearly overmatched by some of the bigger point cards that the Sixers have been playing against recently. But Isaiah just, you know, he's been really limited in what what he's been able to do as far as, you know, like, orchestrating the offense. Um, On the other hand, I feel like Ish Smith, almost somewhat surprisingly, you know, a couple weeks ago when they picked him up, I was on here saying that I, you know, wasn't necessarily a huge fan of the acquisition and thought they could have used the the roster spot elsewhere. But uh, Ish has done, you know, a good job of, uh, you know, kind of running the offense. I want to. I think he's done a better job of it, more so than Isaiah. Uh, he's been able to get out on the break, um, penet- you know, penetrate the ball, get it into the paint, and you know that that's opened up shots for the shooters and you know big guys around the rim like Noel and Sims. I think have benefited from Ish Smith's play more so than Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah looked more like a. Uh, honestly, he's played more like a shooting guard you know, that can kind of bring the ball down, swing it around the perimeter and spot up and have the confidence to knock down a shot. But other than that, he, uh, you know, he's been a little underwhelming as far as leading the offense where I feel like Ish has been almost the opposite, not necessarily that, he, that he's the answer at backup or starting point guard, but he's at least, you know, taken the opportunity and helped, you know, the team uh, offensively. But uh, which one, what do you think of the two play between the two guys? Yeah, I mean, you got to, you know, like Cannon's shooting stroke out there. And 
um, that's really the reason why I think he brought him in. And uh, I, I think he just has to really get comfortable in the offense. And that's why you've kind of seen some growing pains out there in terms of, you know, missing passes and getting stuck in traffic. And, uh, you know, he really likes it on the perimeter so far. He's just really not, you know, comfortable taking it into the paint so much yet. And if Smith, that's what he seems like he was born to do. Um, you know, we talked about Tony Roten-esque, and he was really out of control in his first couple games with the Sixers. But he seems like he's kind of calmed down a little bit and gotten more into the flow of the offense. And, yeah, like you said, finding, you know, Sims or Noel for those mid-range jumpers um, at the foul line. Uh, yeah, I mean – in terms of running the offense, I think you got to give it to Ish Smith at this point. I mean, the six assists compared to 2.8 speaks volumes and, um, you know, in, in less games even. So um, I think that Ish is probably the better the better point guard, true point guard, whereas, you know, Cannon is clearly the better shooter and scorer. So um, it, it's an interesting pairing. And, you know, it's not one that, I think anyone likes to watch out there. I mean, it's very ugly basketball, but, um, you know, for the rest of the season, you can just evaluate which one might serve a better purpose on the team, you know, next year when they'll, they'll add that probably true point guard through the draft in Russell or Moutier. So, um, yeah, I mean, once again, this is the state of independence podcast. I'm your host, Jeff McMenamin alongside Michael Kasky Blamain. And, uh, you know, I wanted to dive in here to something that we kind of alluded to last episode, um, just talking about KJ and Michael Carter-Williams moving on to their respective teams. Um, You know, KJ, he's still only played in two games since uh, the last episode. Um, You know, DNPs all last week and, you know, zeros across the board in terms of stats where, you know, MCW got his uh, first start against the Sixers, and he's averaging 10.5 points and five assists through four games. But, you know, I've gotten to watch MCW's play a little bit, and obviously uh, he's not averaging anywhere close to what he was with the Sixers, and, you know, he seems a little lost on offense as well. I think it was Kyle Newbeck um, posted a vine of, you know, him – trying to give an alley-oop to a teammate and it's just clanging off the top of the backboard and, you know, falling almost out of bounds. Um, It hasn't been much of a smooth transition so far for, you know, MCW at the Bucks, and they've actually lost more games since the trade deadline than, you know, the teams that are in position for the playoffs in the East right now. So um, what do you think of, you know, both of their plays so far and, you know, just KJ being stuck in that, um, you know, positional hell right there in Houston right now. Yeah, with with KJ especially, it's just it's an unfortunate situation because, I mean, realistically, he's not going to see the court for the rest of the season, um, you know, unless there's some sort of injury issue to one of the Rockets' perimeter players. I mean, the Rockets are all in there right now. They're, you know, a top-five team in the league with title aspirations, and you know, they they were already well established. You know, they have obviously uh MVP candidate James Harden starting at shooting guard. They have Trevor Reza starting a small forward. They got some insurance 
and uh, you know they brought in Corey Brewer earlier in the season as the backup small forward. They got Josh Smith. I mean, they they have a lot of forwards and a lot of you know a lot of established veterans on that team. And you know, it's just life in the NBA. You go from a you know a team like the Sixers that's rebuilding and has you know the time and uh, you know ability to get KJ some minutes, and then you go over to a team you know an established team contending like the Rockets, and it's just not. You know, the minutes just aren't there for him. They don't have the, the ability to, you know, give minutes like that to an unproven rookie. And, you know, it's it's tough for him, especially the way his contract's set up, because, I mean, he's obviously still going to get see some money this summer based off the, you know, the athleticism, the defense, and the potential that he showed in Philly. But you'd have to think that, the you know, the offers might have been a little bit higher had he been able to play out the rest of the season in Philly and keep putting up numbers and keep, you know, getting on Sports Center for his blocks and his dunks. Because as it is now, it doesn't look like, you know, he might not be making any more Sports Center top ten lists for the rest of the season, I guess we could say. <laughs> but um, and with Carter Williams, too, I mean, it's I feel like it's a little early to judge, you know, what he's done in Milwaukee. He's only uh, only played four games. He's only seen um, under 30 minutes, 27 minutes a game there so far. Uh, obviously, like you said, the numbers are down. I feel like that's you know that sort of comes with the territory, especially in the point guard position where you're tasked with you know running running an offense for an entirely new team and new players that you haven't experienced. But um, you know it might be um, exemplative of things to come. You know he might not see the same you know the statistical opportunities that he did in Philly. Uh, you know I feel like that'll be the case and it has been the case over the past season and a half with a lot of players. You know. Spencer, Evan Turner, you know, the guys, they just get the opportunity here under Brett in Philly that they don't get elsewhere. Um, you mentioned right earlier about when we were talking about Ish and Isaiah Cannon. Um, you know, Ish Smith is averaging six assists a game with the Sixers. It's only an assist and a half less than Carter, Carter Williams was averaging with the Sixers this game, and he's playing, you know, almost 10 minutes less a game than Mike was with the Sixers. So, I mean, if he had that extra mm-hmm. ten minutes, you'd have to you'd have to think his assist would be right up there too. Which isn't to say that he's excellent or Carter Williams isn't good. It's just you know it, it's the system gives players an opportunity, jacks up the pace. So I mean, with with KJ, unfortunately, I feel like his fate's kind of sealed for the season. You know, he's he's an afterthought in Houston. Un you know, unlikely that he'll be back there next season. He'll probably have a new home. Um, Mike, on the other hand, he's you know he's had his struggles, but I feel like the book is obviously still out on his performance a little bit. He needs you know a little more time. Once once the playoffs hit, and I feel like he'll be a little more accustomed to Milwaukee and Jason Kidd, and I feel like it'll be easier to evaluate him in his post sixer career. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I wonder what KJ's mom thinks uh, right now, <laughs> being glued to the yeah, bench on question. that team. I mean. It's obviously, you know, uh, great to be on a winning team like that, but it's got to be just draining to you as an athlete to, you know, just sit and watch game after game and, you know, not really find a spot in the rotation, um, which seems to be the case. And, you know, do you even hold on to KJ if you're the Rockets next season? I mean, maybe. (laughs) We'll see what happens. But, uh you know, you have so many people to pay um, to add, you know, another big, well, what looks to be at least a bigger contract than you're expecting. Um, I don't know if that would be the case. So, you know, we'll see what happens there. And like you said, MCW just has to really learn the system. And, um, 
you know, I, I think he should be fine down the road. But, you know, it's, it's interesting to see that since the trade deadline, Milwaukee is just two and five. And, um, you know, MCW hasn't looked great in there. And, um, yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens with that situation. It's, it's interesting. But, um, you know, moving on, I know that you said that you wouldn't pour one out um, for Tim Frazier when he <laughs> left the Sixers, but are you pouring one out today for JaVale? <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll, I'll pour a little bit out for JaVale just for uh, entertainment sake. <laughs> I mean, he was uh, in, his, in his very short stint with the Sixers. I think he provided uh, Sixers fans with a few, at least a few good memories to hold on to. What, do, what about you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, that JaVale sale, I don't know if you saw that one in the first game. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. classic. And, um, yeah, I mean, he also had that thunderous hammer dunk that no one saw coming. Um, you know, you give and take with JaVale. I, I think it's interesting when people are talking about him helping, uh, you know, on a playoff team right now, you know, out in <laughs> Dallas or um, Houston and um I think even in Washington that talked about bringing him back. I don't know. I, I think it's pretty interesting um, that he's now getting these, uh, you know, almost flyers from playoff teams expecting him to do anything. So what do you think about that? You know, yeah, these you, playoff you teams going place. after JaVale. <laughs> you literally took the words out of my mouth when I uh, I read a report yesterday that said the the Warriors were uh, very interested in him as in insurance for Andrew Bogut, you know, who Bogut had his injury issue. And then, yeah, I mean, knowing what I knew about JaVale prior to him coming to the Sixers and then just seeing, you know, seeing him during this short stand up close and personal in Philly, I, I just thought, you know, it's was, it was pretty funny to hear him mentioned in, as in those terms. Um, Personally, I can't see him really affecting the playoff picture at all. Uh, can you? No, not at all. I mean, if he plays, he's in there, you know, to save a guy from foul trouble or if a player gets injured. I mean, what else can JaVale do out there? You know, he, he might yeah. be able to grab a couple of rebounds and uh, affect a couple of shots maybe on defense. But, um, you know, he can't score um, – you know, he's just kind of goofy out there on the court. Uh, I don't really have many words to describe JaVale. Yeah, goofy. Like goofy I said, in, you know, it. the last episode, yeah, I mean, like I said in the last episode, he's just very JaVale-like. There's really no other word to describe him, so. He gets his own adjective. <laughs> well, um, you know, that's all we've got for today's show. Once again, this was the State of Independence podcast. I'm your host, uh, Jeff McManaman, alongside Mike lukowski Uh Go out and, you know, follow us on the app Stitcher. We'll catch you next week with a bunch of other Sixers topics. Um, but for myself and Mike, you know, we'll see you next week. Thanks, Jeff. On time to the show. There's only one road that you really have to know. So get to Fishtown without all that job. I suggest that you drive on I-95. Wanna get downtown but feel in the fix? Get on that road they call 676. The most expensive, expensive piece of interstate they ever made. The fellas ain't famous, but they got the game.